0: afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for making time for me today as I have got a terrific show for you. Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a second. He, of course, is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. Just after Rob, Dr. Greg Borgon is going to come in. He's going to talk about Caleb. And hour two is going to be our continuation of our Old Testament study with Dr. Jarrett Stevens. We're talking about Esther today. So it's going to be kind of an Old Testament day. But to get things started, let's talk to Rob Bluey again, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. It's good to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So I'm just so curious, Rob, you know, as we look at these big tech companies, and I think of the information manipulation that's going on and the impact that that's having on America's uh, free speech. I'd love for you to comment on
1: that. Well, the big tech companies, which we loosely define as as the major platforms like Facebook and Twitter, uh, you know, you you can include LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and TikTok and Instagram and go down the line, Bill. But they are they have really become the new public square in terms of how Americans consume and share information. And they have done so over the course of a whole generation now. So there are children and young, young Americans who don't know a world without these platforms. That's, uh, that's been their entirety of their, their lifetime. And I, in some ways I feel bad for them because (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, like you and me, we, uh, we, we, we learned to, we grew up at a time when, when maybe it was a a little simpler and and not as, as challenging, but uh, you know, this is having major impacts in our society and, and in some cases, not good. Changes that have come play, come forward. Now, obviously, being able to connect with people, particularly during COVID, when when we were restricted from, from seeing people face to face, they they helped uh, with those. But at the same time, we see uh, depression going up, particularly among teen girls. Uh, it, it, Facebook and Instagram have released data to suggest that this is this is true based on their own studies. And I, uh, I, I don't think that that's the kind of information that is, uh, is necessarily helping us in our society. So we need to take a close, hard look at what these tech companies are doing and how they're changing our brains and the way we think about things. Um, and we're not even getting into the political censorship and some of the other challenges that uh, they come along with that. But uh, you've talked to, you and I've talked about that on, on many occasions, occasions and Christians and conservatives oftentimes find themselves in a position where their beliefs don't align with Silicon Valley. And they find themselves in a position of being censored.
0: Mm hmm. So I'm curious also, Rob, of your um, take on the Canadian truckers protest.
1: Well, it it is connected to big tech now. It is because GoFundMe, which was the platform that they were using to raise money, uh, basically uh, said no thanks. And this is not the first time GoFundMe has done that. In fact, on some of the very issues that we I was just talking about, uh, Baronel Stutzman, the florist, mm-hmm. uh, who, whose case uh, for many years was being uh, litigated by judges, uh, had a GoFundMe page that was removed as well. So. GoFundMe is no friend to, to some of the values that we believe in, Bill. Uh, but the Canadian truckers, they are protesting the vaccine mandates and some of the other measures that the Canadian government has put into place. And the government doesn't like this very much. They obviously would like to see this, uh, this protest come to an end. And it's really unfortunate that, uh, that the platform GoFundMe decided uh, to take that side. And egregiously decided that they were going to take the nine million dollars that were was raised and donated it to other causes. I mean, it's just mm. so um, so offensive, I think, to, to all the people who supported the Canadian truckers, of course, with public pressure. Uh you know, as is often the case, these companies tend to to back down. But it really should never reach that point, and uh, and that's unfortunately the situation we find ourselves in more and more often.
0: Now, Rob, I mean, how legal or ethical is that? What they were attempting to do? I don't think they pulled pulled it off. But what they were attempting they to do? Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, well, certainly, I would say it's not ethical. Um, legally, maybe there's something in their terms of service that gives them that power uh, to do that. But then I would suggest let's not use GoFundMe. Let's look for other uh, crowdfunding platforms that uh, that have a, a terms of service that will respect the wishes of those who make the donations. Uh, there, there's just a number of things, uh, including situations we found ourselves in at the Daily Signal, where we'll post a piece of content and then find out later that uh, because of some arcane language in in the hate speech policy or the terms of service, that uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever platform can come in and uh, and, and take it down and, uh, and, and block its reach. So there are multiple ways that these tech companies find uh, to, to censor and block content. And... And at the same time, uh, my colleague Kara Frederick, who previously worked at Facebook, said they're out for a few things, Bill. And one of them is growth at all costs. They want to continue to grow, grow, grow. Uh, the bottom line is is significant. And then, uh, and then, obviously, uh, you know, suppressing co- competition. And once you become a big player in Silicon Valley, you don't want any of these upstarts. So they'll either buy them outright, uh, as Facebook did with Instagram, for instance, or they'll look for other ways to stifle the competition. And uh, frankly, that's just not fair and not the American way.
0: Yeah. Rob, the border issue is so complicated. I mean, there's lots of people searching for a new life in America, which is great. There's also a lot of human trafficking. There's a lot of drugs coming over the border. Uh, What is the update with what's happening at the border?
1: well it's uh it's not looking good, and this has been a major failure on the part of the Biden administration. They uh, undid a lot of the policies of, of President Trump, and like President Trump or not, uh, one thing I think that he deserves credit for is helping to get things under control at the border. Uh, obviously, building a wall was a big priority of his, but also putting in place policies that were humane and and uh, hopefully dissuaded. The people who were coming from either the Northern Triangle countries of, of Latin America or from Mexico directly from ever making that journey to begin with, and so part of it was the Remain in Mexico policy, so they would just not cross the border to begin with. Uh, the Biden administration wanted to undo that policy. A court uh, has said, a federal court has said, no, you cannot do that. Uh, you have to keep that policy in place, but it, they're not really complying with uh, with the court orders. So we continue to have a problem and. Bill, we're entering the time of year where we're we've already seen um, these massive spikes and we're, we're, we're going to be entering the time of year when we're going to be seeing even more people attempting to cross the border. So after the first year, uh, the numbers are just uh, unprecedented and they're going to continue to get worse, unfortunately, unless some new policies and practices are put into place.
0: Mm-hmm. So these trucks in Canada, Rob, in Ottawa, they're just parked there going, huh, try to make me move, huh?
1: That's right. It's a standoff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating to see. And some people have have asked. You know, I, I don't think I don't think people expected it to happen in Canada eh? because uh, obviously we know that Americans don't like their freedoms being uh, abridged or restricted. But uh, for this to to be taking place in Ottawa is uh, is is kind of eye catching, and I think it's one of the reasons why the Canadian government wants to to end it as uh, as quickly as uh, possible.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure truckers all over the U.S. are watching what's going on and figuring out what they can learn.
1: You better believe it, and, mm-hmm. and Bill, I've talked to so many people over the course of the last few weeks that uh, have have come to either visit us uh, on Capitol Hill or, uh, I mean, I, I, I just interviewed somebody this past week who, who said, uh, you know, they were so disappointed that D.C. has put these mandates in and they can't, uh, they, they refuse to comply with going out to a restaurant. I have not eaten out at a restaurant that requires a, a, a vaccine uh, passport because out of the principle, I don't think it's any, any of the restaurant owner's business, uh, my vaccine status. And I think, you know, I've been on, told your listeners, plenty of times in past appearances that I am vaccinated. I, I'm very pro-vaccine, but I just think that it crosses the line. And I think that the truckers taking a stand and other Americans who are taking a stand, including all the moms and dads uh, of school children who are speaking out against the mask mandates, uh, I give them a lot of credit. It's not an easy thing for them to do. In some cases, they're putting their livelihoods on the line.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you tuned into the Olympics? Not yet. Okay. I'm nor, not
1: watching the Olympics. Nor so. have I. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I've been disappointed by the International Olympic Committee, first of all, for its refusal uh, to condemn the Chinese uh, for its, uh, the genocide taking place against the Uyghur Muslims. But also, Bill, I saw these reports where the IOC was also c- cracking down. I mean, we started this conversation talking about uh, tech censorship. And the IOC was complicit in, uh, in in removing some posts on Twitter uh, that were uh, critical of, of the Chinese government. And I think it's really disappointing that the Olympics are taking place in a country that is carrying out these human rights abuses. And unfortunately, I think in in the case of our own diplomatic boycott in the United States, I I, I don't think it's having much much effect at all. I don't think the Chinese frankly really care. Uh, in fact, they see him emboldened, standing side by side with uh, with Russia's. Uh... Vladimir Putin, uh, two totalitarian governments standing side by side isn't necessarily the image that I think uh, many Americans wanted to see. Especially as Russia's on the doorstep of Ukraine and and China is uh, is, is you know making noise about Taiwan, uh, they're they're not uh, up to their best behavior. Let's put it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey is my Washington D.C. correspondent, but it can also be yours too. If you have a question for him, let me know what it is. You can send it over via text eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four again text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four We'll take a short break and be right back with Rob in just a minute. Welcome back. So glad you are listening today. And especially those of you who are listening at 88.3 at KLMP in Rapid City, South Dakota. Welcome to the Faith Radio family. Today is the first day we have flipped the switch and you are now on the air with us. And we're awfully glad that you have joined us. Thank you so much for listening. You'll find quickly that this is uh, your favorite show on the network. And I think you'll tune in daily for it. So I hope you do. Rob Blue is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And we start our Tuesdays with Rob, and we find out what's going on in Washington, D.C., and he is my go-to guy, so always glad to have him on on Tuesdays. Um, Rob, let's uh, chat, if we can, a little bit about um, some of the uh, rogue prosecutors that are right now out across America that are making law enforcement so challenging.
1: That's right. We use the term rogue prosecutors because they are district district attorneys or other uh, officials in similar capacities who are refusing to prosecute crimes they've they've come into office they believe uh, with a mandate to uh, wipe some of these off the books. It's just really uh, shocking uh, to see the the consequences and results of this bill and uh, the crime wave that we do see happening across this country is problematic it even has caught the attention of of the president himself, who was in New York recently, uh, to, talk, um, to talk about the situation facing New York City. So in many of these cases, the rogue prosecutors are, have, have been funded in part by uh, liberal activists, uh, including George Soros. And the agenda that they come in with looks maybe good in campaign ads and on paper, but when in, it's implied in, in, in real life, uh, we start to see the consequences, and those consequences mean that individuals who are are committing crimes, uh, in many cases, you know, misdemeanors, they're not facing uh, the consequences for for doing so. And I, Bill, I, I, I know we can go back to the the broken windows theory in New York City and Los Angeles and the, the other places where it was it was implemented, and that was, you know, these little things do matter. It might not seem like it um, when you're talking about the big picture, but Communities notice things and criminals notice things. And so when you're – the broken windows theory is that you know if you're not – if you have a broken window and you're not taking care of the little things in your community, it will lead to other bigger problems. And I'm frankly uh, afraid that that's what's happening in, in many of our big cities. And I don't know how to reverse course on this other than the voters and the, the citizens of those communities speaking up, much like they did during the defund the police movement. So maybe we'll start to see some change, but it's going to take some time to, to make that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, does it seem that the Biden administration is moving more towards supporting the police?
1: It certainly does. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think clearly the, the, the message from the political world has indicated in polling as well that defund the police is not a winning issue, particularly among uh, voters who are in cities that are experiencing crime. Uh, when you're living through this on a day-to-day basis, you want people, you want to have a mayor or a police commissioner, and certainly a police department that is responsive to to the challenges in your community. And so, a lot of the rhetoric that we saw emerge in 2020 after the death of George Floyd, I think, has has subsided significantly. It's not to say that there aren't still some voices out there advocating for these more extreme policies, but uh, but for the most part, I think it's caught the attention of of President Biden himself, who has shied away from it, and it certainly Democrats who are running for for office now that isn't to say they haven't moved entirely away from it Uh, Biden's focused a lot of his remarks on gun control and we know that that is a divisive issue itself because Mm -hmm. there are some people who feel that they need uh, a gun for self-defense because frankly that's the 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 fastest way that they can defend themselves without having to rely on the police who may be minutes uh, away from from being able to help Mm mm-hmm Rob, do you know about what
0: the restrictions are in Germany uh, regarding uh, vaccination? I had a a listener wondering if you might know uh, not letting them in or arresting people that don't have a vaccination in Germany.
1: Jeez, I don't know specifically about Germany, um, but I I can tell you that uh, in many cases, it seems that the European nations, and again, I I don't know Germany specifically, Bill, but we've already seen that the European nations have, have started to make some changes now Sometimes the European nations are ahead of the United States when it comes to some of these curves, so they'll experience things like Omicron or Delta before us, and so they may be be adapting. But just like here in the United States, I mean, it came as a big surprise to me that Connecticut, Delaware, and New Jersey, hardly conservative states. Uh, decided yesterday that they were going to phase out their mask mandate for uh, particularly for school-aged children. And so uh, that's a big fight uh, locally here in Virginia, where a lot of the, the northern Virginia uh, school districts have decided to sue Governor Glenn Youngkin over his uh, his desire to put parents back in charge of that. So I think that, Bill, a lot of people are tiring of these mandates and, and restrictions and lockdowns. And whether it be in Europe or or the United States or other countries, uh, it is uh, it's a matter of time before people just stop complying entirely. And I think that our political leaders need to res- be respectful of that. And uh, we also need to recognize this important trend on natural immunity, which I think has been ignored by the public health professionals for far too long. Mm-hmm. And we need to recognize that natural immunity can have a, a real positive effect uh, for those who come through covid and, and hopefully it will help reduce the number of cases in the future.
0: Rob, didn't you remember hearing Dr. Fauci talk about natural immunity way at the very, very beginning of the pandemic? Oh, yeah. That was no, one, I, of the, I, one of the big goals, wasn't it? To get to um, herd immunity. You're going to do that with vaccination or natural immunity.
1: That's right. Uh, it certainly was, and it's been surprising that on this particular issue, uh, it hasn't uh, it hasn't received as much attention. Bill, I, I heard an interesting, you know, last week, President Biden, who who lost the son to cancer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's talked about his cancer moonshot, and I heard uh, one commentator in the in the health community say that imagine if we had the same focus and determination on cancer as we have with COVID, and of course, cancer kills far more people. Uh, than COVID does. It affects people who, who don't even die from cancer in, in ways that, that change them throughout their life. And, I, 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 you know, it's a it's a head scratcher how uh, we've been able to meet through the media and our political leaders have whipped people up into such a frenzy over COVID. I'm not dismissing its seriousness. It is serious. 900,000 Americans have died from it. But at the same time, um, yeah, some of the restrictions that I think they've put in place have have not been been borne out with some of the scientific data uh, to support them.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, at the Heritage Foundation, you've done an election integrity scorecard. How how do you earn voters' trust?
1: Well, it, it's uh, it's an important issue because we are coming up on our midterm elections this year, and coming out of 2020, we saw particularly among uh, Republicans, uh, the trust in our elections dipped significantly. Now, four years earlier, it was Democrats who had lost faith in their election. I think we need to boost those numbers regardless of your political party. And restoring that faith and trust in election comes with having clear laws in place, uh, hopefully consistent state to state. But of course, our states and localities determine a lot of our election laws. And so what we've done at Heritage is put together the scorecard. so so voters can go log on at uh, heritage.org slash election scorecard and see for themselves how their state ranks. We've provided model legislation to legislators uh, if they want to introduce laws in their state to improve their election systems. And we've rated this by category so that voters can see exactly where their state might need to improve and uh, and where their state might uh, be a standout and a role model for others. So it's going to take a lot of a uh, lot of time to get this done, Bill. As you know, working 50 states and, and all sorts of state legislatures is not something that happens overnight. But I think if we want to have confidence in our elections, particularly as we head toward the presidential election in 2024, this has got to be one of our top priorities.
0: Yeah. Rob, how would you Put the message to the american people with the economy is basically recovering and then yet we've got inflation that's so bad that they're kind of knocking each other up
1: well it certainly is and, and particularly because we are in a situation where uh not only as you say the the jobs report came out on friday and it was it was certainly positive from the extent that, uh, that, that President Biden was championing the, the number of, of people who, who entered the workforce. But there's still a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. There are far more jobs available than Americans who are willing to take those jobs, and it's creating a problem for employers. And then you have the additional issue, which you brought up, which is inflation, and mm-hmm. which is primarily caused by the government spending trillions of dollars over the last couple of years to combat COVID and wanting to even pour more money on top of it um, and so I think that, fortunately, some of those proposals have have slowed down in, in Congress, uh, thanks in part to some of the Democrats who have had some caution about uh, about spending more money on it. But I think the only way to get our fiscal house in order is to, to reduce spending, Bill, and, and that's going to help with inflation. Uh, $30 trillion national debt is just unbelievable – uh, and this is a bipartisan problem. President Trump contributed greatly to that that debt, uh, by far uh, the president who's contributed the most um, during his presidency. So it's uh, it's Republicans and Democrats alike who, who need to get serious about this. Just like we expect our families to meet a budget, so does our federal government.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, I have two more questions that have come in. From listeners, one is extremely personal. I'll leave that towards the end. All right, uh, here's one. I've heard that there are secret flights of illegal immigrants that have been, are being flown to states and dropped off without advance permission from states. Is there any truth to this? Uh, there's the question. There is.
1: There, okay. there, there is, and uh, and my my colleagues Laura Reese and Mark Morgan, who's the former commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, have documented this. Uh, and 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 not only. Uh, is it happening? But it's being – they're trying to sweep it under the rug so you don't know about it. What it was was uh, some some privately recorded video that was secretly released to the press uh, where we were able to to discover this. And so, yes, there are states that are, are taking in, in the middle of the night, uh, these illegal immigrants – and they're being dropped off. And frankly, Bill, there are so many, uh, given the the massive number of people who are crossing the border, it's just hard to keep up. And so this is why people like Mark Morgan, uh, who, again, has been his life in law enforcement and, and border border security, say that every town in America is now a border town because of the impact that illegal immigration is having in this country.
0: Thank you for that answer. Rob, you ready for your final answer, which is personal? Okay, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. A listener wanted to know, does your wife like talking politics or does your work stay at home every day?
1: (laughs) Mostly my work stays at work. That's what uh, I mean. That's what I meant. Does
0: your work stay at work?
1: But she does. You know, I let your listeners in on a little secret. My wife is is actually an employee at the Heritage Foundation. She's a graphic designer for us. <laughs> okay. And uh, just just a part time job, so she can help take care of the three kids at home too. But yeah. it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's fun uh, to to share uh, uh, the same political beliefs. And I can't imagine being in a relationship with somebody who didn't share them, but I know that there are plenty of people who have happy marriages, and they just might vote differently when it comes to the ballot box and that's that's a okay and and wonderful because uh we we uh, you know obviously as Christians are supporters of of happy marriages, and sometimes politics is what fuels it, and sometimes it's other things but uh but we're we're grateful for that question. thank you
0: yeah bro. yeah, great to have you on. have a great rest of the day, Rob. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com. After a short break, we're going to talk about Caleb with Dr. Greg Borgon. to do, and m- much thanks to Rosie, my producer, who said, hmm, no, Esther's tomorrow. We've got Jay John on today at 5 o'clock talking about evangelism. I don't know what I'd do without her, to be honest. So I want to say once again, welcome to our friends in Sioux Falls. At, we're so glad that you joined us, and even um, parts of Wyoming, so kind of exciting. Wow. Des Moines is no longer the newest station. <laughs> that's great we've added another one and rapid city is the second largest city in the state of south dakota did you know that no i didn't and the first one would be what
2: Bismarck. <laughs> <laughs> all right we need a new guest <laughs> you did that purposely bro. I, did. I don't get even i get ahead <laughs> i know
0: dr greg Borgon is my guest we're going to talk about lessons from caleb today Again, you can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg, but Greg, always glad to have you back it's and good let's to be here. learn
2: about Caleb. All right, let's let's dive into it. Actually, this is the third in a series we covered uh two previous Old Testament heroes that are many have forgotten. Jeremiah was one and and then Jonathan the son of Saul, great friend of David, was the second and now here we are with Caleb. Let me begin by uh, quoting one of my favorite authors, Oz Guinness, uh, in his book, The Call. He cites Bill three reasons uh, for the conspicuous absence of heroes today. First, he says, we live in a cynical age that respects nothing and reveres nobody. Interesting. So Guinness wrote, and I quote, As modern people, we look not for the golden aura, but the feet of clay, not for the stirring example, but for the cynical motive. And we look at our society today, our cancel culture, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that we tear down our heroes of past, we break down their statues, we take their names off of buildings, and we look for anything that uh, can disparage their character, it seems. The second reason is we see fewer heroes for the very simple reason there aren't as many around. <laughs> so we traded heroes for celebrities, such as Oprah, John Stewart, maybe, or Bill Mayer or the Kardashians or Ellen DeGeneres or Whoopi Goldberg or even Colin uh, Kaepernick. Um, As everybody knows, celebrities are just people who are famous for being well known. They're well known for their well knownness. (laughs) It's not that they have achieved anything of, of, of profound significance or have invested their lives in some noble venture that will change a lot of humanity for the better. They just happen to be around doing something when the lights came on and cameras started to roll. Well, I mean, to their credit, some of these names are
0: genuinely talented people. Well, oh, they but, certainly are. Yeah, and very they much certainly
2: so. have contributed. Yeah, well, uh, but
0: I know where we're going with this. There, yeah. you know, there is the idea that uh, we don't have heroes as much as we have celebrities. Yes, yeah.
2: celebrities. So, uh, third, Gosgina says we're lacking in heroes because we've lost sight of God as an active participant in human life. So, we lack the ability to see God calling to. Uh, men and women to live for him and his cause, which transcends anything humans could really Mm -hmm. envisage. Having such a calling gave uh, men and women's lives grandeur and nobility of purpose, with the result that many uh, became true heroes, which brings us to our topic today. So one of my favorite heroes in the Bible is Caleb. Now, we first encounter Caleb in Numbers chapter 13, and that's not normally a book that's on the top list of every Bible student to read as uh, Deuteronomy and others uh, Mm -hmm. seem to get short shrift oftentimes when we study them but here we're introduced to this amazing hero Caleb Um, when 12 spies if you recall were sent to check out the land of Canaan and determine what might be expected when they entered the land so Joshua Joshua was also uh, uh, in the group of spies so the other Israelites had left Egypt under difficult but uh, miraculous circumstances. They crossed the Red Sea, and now they're into the wilderness. And they're on the edge of this amazing territory God was going to give them. So as they approach the land promised uh, by them uh, to them by God, Moses commissions 12 men to spy out the land, one from each tribe of, of Israel. So after a 40-day expiration of Canaan, the spies report back. And here's what they said. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here, uh, it, uh, Here is its fruit, and they showed them the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw defendants, or descendants of Anak there, which were the giants of the land at the time. So the report frightened the people. So Caleb and Joshua didn't agree with the negative report and the fear-mongering that was going on in the camp at the time. So in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30 and 31, we read, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. So when the people complained that they could not go up to conquer the land, both Caleb and Joshua responded strongly. So we read in Numbers chapter 14 now, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. (laughs) Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them after they refuted the report of the other 10. Mm -hmm. So Caleb stood boldly against a majority and almost lost his life as as a result. So because the people rebelled, God condemned them to wander in the desert for 40 years after Moses interceded for them until the generation of rebellion died off except Joshua and Caleb. So every man 20 years and older uh, that was living at that time ended up dying off. And those 40 years, one year for every single day, they spied out the land. That was God's punishment. So in Numbers 14, verse 20, we read, Then the Lord said, I pardoned uh, according to your word, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now God said, according to the census, men, as I said, twenty years and older would perish in the desert over a forty year period, except Joshua and Caleb. Now we next uh, hear about Caleb 45 years later hmm. as he appears before Joshua regarding his inheritance. In Joshua 14, beginning with verse 6, we read Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gigal, and Caleb uh, the Kisanite, said to him, We know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as uh, it was in my heart. But my brothers who went with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, and he's talking to Joshua here, uh, Joshua, the successor of Moses, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Could we all say that, huh? Yeah, it'd be great. My strength now is as my strength was then. For war and for uh, coming and going. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as, uh, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. So Caleb, who at the age of 85 was still as strong for war as he was uh, at 40, drove out the Anakim from Hebron. He then attacked Debur to the southwest of Hebron. This town must have been pretty strong and and hard to conquer because Caleb offered a prize to the conqueror, promising uh, to give his daughter, uh, Aksa, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, for a wife to anyone who should take it. So Othniel, his nephew, took the city and secured a wife, An attractive land in the process. So nothing else after that is known Hmm. about Caleb's life and death. So let's just think about this for a minute. So have you ever been in a minority or uh, overruled by a majority but later proven to be right? Um, Truth is not always on the side of of, uh, a majority. So one keen observer has noted that the voice of the minority has not often given a hearing. Nevertheless, truth cannot be measured by numbers. On the contrary, it often stands against majority opinion. Truth remains unchanged because it is guaranteed by the character of God. God is truth. What he says is the last word. At times, a person must stand alone on the side of truth. So Caleb, who was a spy, a warrior, a shepherd, along with Joshua, expressed a minority um, position against a majority who thought otherwise. But Caleb was a man of courage, valor, and integrity. So in Numbers 14, verse 24, here's what it says, a succinct statement about who Caleb is. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and descendants will inherit it. So one thing we know is that he was unmovable uh, in, in the face of strong opinion by others. So compromise was not a characteristic of his life. Uh, his moral character withstood the strongest winds of a very vocal majority that temporarily held sway over the circumstances. Expressing any other opinion would have violated his character. Wow, Greg, what is there for us to learn from this today? <laughs> We're going to jump right into it. So character is the combination of natural and acquired features and traits that constitute a person's nature or fundamental uh, disposition from which and this is key, Bill, which uh, specific moral responses issue. So your character will review an overbehavior over time, either uh, uh, actions or decisions that will either bring glory to God or dishonor and shame. So mm-hmm. Helen Keller, American uh, blind and deaf writer and lecturer, uh, said character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through, and she knew about this, Yeah. only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened. Vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. So, human beings judge one another by their external actions, and God judges them by their moral choices. Uh, That's a quote from C.S. Lewis. So, there are obvious lessons we can learn from his life. Uh, One is the majority opinion is not an accurate measurement of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Two, words and actions bring courage and faith to life. And three, Boldness is appropriate when God's redemptive purposes are at stake. But there's some other things we can learn about his life, Bill. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that after the break. This
0: is fascinating, Greg. You know, I always think of that uh, expression that he will lead you into a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know if I've ever completely understood that. Shouldn't it be a land flowing with cows and bees? (laughs)
2: Well, maybe when you get to heaven, you can correct them.
0: Well, I'm going to ask. There's a lot of questions <laughs> I'm going to ask. All right. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. and go to org. We'll continue our discussion on Caleb. All next. have Dr. Greg Borgon in studio. He is the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior Ministries, helping men live lives of integrity and honor under the authority of God. You can go to heartofawarrior.org. We're talking about Caleb
2: today. So, Greg, what else can we learn from Caleb's life? Well, I think, Bill, even after those three um, uh, lessons that we just talked about before the break. We can learn three other very important lessons, I think, from the life of Caleb. Number one, you are never too old to make a difference. So Caleb continued to make a difference until he crashed through the gates of heaven, absolutely, utterly exhausted, having expended everything uh, on the field of engagement. Wouldn't that be nice if that could be hmm. said of us as well? Yeah. That we crashed through those gates, totally exhausted, mm-hmm. having knowing that we've given it our all right up to the very last minute. So Moses began his earthly ministry at 80. Caleb took a stronghold at age 85. Billy Graham preached to the multitudes in his 80s. Seasoned workers are sought after companies today uh, looking for maturity and experience. So wisdom is often the byproduct of a life lived in the crucible. So young people long for mature people and mature persons to invest in their lives. So young men come to me, Bill, all the time for counsel because they want their idealism, I guess, tempered by uh, reason, experience, and godly advice, and hopefully I I can give that to them. Mature older men have much to offer younger men who long to be mentored by older, wiser men. So my book, um, The Rattling of Sabers, Preparing Your Heart for Life's Battles, was published in 2010, was almost 20 years uh, in incubation. I received an award called Rising Star for the book. I said to my wife at the time, here I am, 62 years of age, and I'm a rising star. <laughs> Go figure. So maturity has more to do with one's journey than it has to do with age, really. Mm-hmm. So we're commanded to pass on to others what we've learned. Second Timothy 2, 2 says as much, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and entrust to reliable men who uh, will also be qualified to teach others. So young potential leaders are all around us. Um, Our antenna may not be tuned to their frequency. In fact, a a static of their lives may be misinterpreted as a failure or a nuisance. I found several telltale characteristics of budding leaders, Bill. What are they? They are, number one, they're insistent. They never give up. They Mm -hmm. look like they're bouncing their head against the wall, but closer observation is looking to find a way over, around, or through it. Mm -hmm. Number two, they're inquisitive. Uh, They're full of questions. They always ask more questions than a wise man could ever answer. (laughs) Number three, they're impatient. They seek more responsibility before they are even ready for it. Um, And they're often incognito. They're often unnamed leaders in the hiding, often on the peripheral, Mm -hmm. recognized by their peers, but not by anybody else. Innovators. That's the fifth and final character I've noticed as I've worked with leaders through uh, five decades they often go beyond what is asked of them. As a matter of fact, That's it, can, quite a list. it can drive a, a leader up the wall when, when you just want to say, well, just do what I ask you to do, but closer observation, they may have a better idea. Mm-hmm. So as you grow in the Lord, God gives you um, you know, more influence directly, indirectly, and organizationally. Also, the more you become like Christ, the more you reflect His character, the more deeply, wide-ranging, and far-reaching your influence will be. So you'll have greater direct influence because you'll penetrate deeper, you'll have wider influence uh, because you'll be dealing with more people, and you'll be more conversant on things that matter in people's lives and be able to talk about them accordingly. The second uh, lesson we learn, in addition to the others that we've talked about, God and you are a majority, Bill, not a minority. Now, Caleb lived his life for an audience of one. So, uh, Numbers fourteen twenty four. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, the the key is wholeheartedly. So the question I, I guess what I'd ask, Bill, is whom do you serve? Where does your loyalty lie? To whose kingdom do you belong? Whose favor do you seek? To whom do you owe your allegiance? To whom do you owe your very existence? So it is to Christ, Bill, that... Um, all our efforts are directed. Everything else or everyone else is a beneficiary of an act of worship. In other words, when we go ahead and um, issue an act of kindness to somebody, uh, it goes beyond that because it's a demonstration as an act of worship to our Lord, and others just happen to be the beneficiary. Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Caleb understood that. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So he knew where his home was. And it's not going to be in the midst of confusion and disorientation. He knew His focus was on the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. David Jeremiah and his book Angels shared an amazing testimony uh, regarding uh, a person by the name of John G. Patton, a pioneer missionary on New Hebrides Island in South Pacific. He recounts this story. He says, hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning uh, the pattons out and killing them john patton and his wife prayed all during that filled night that god would deliver them when daylight came they were amazed to see that unaccountably the attackers had left they thanked god for delivering them a year later the chief of the tribe was converted to jesus christ and mr patton remembering what had happened asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them the chief replied in surprise we Who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, There were no men there, just my wife and me. The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. The chief agreed that there was no other explanation. Powerful story that we're not alone, that uh, we're a majority uh, when God is in our court. The third and final lesson we learned, Bill, is integrity and authenticity shape our destiny. Caleb was a man of absolute integrity and authenticity. He would not sacrifice his principles on the altar of expediency. I think John uh, Maxwell's definition of integrity clarifies the meaning um, and significance of that that term. He says, integrity binds our person together and fosters a spirit of contentment within us. It will not allow our lips to violate our hearts. When integrity is the referee, we'll be consistent. Our beliefs will be mirrored by our conduct. There will be no discrepancy between what we appear to be and what our family knows we are. Whether in times of prosperity or adversity, integrity allows us to predetermine what we will be regardless of circumstances, persons involved, or the places of our testing. So, you know, if you want to look into this, the audience look into this further, all they need to do is look at Psalm uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 5, because it'll tell you exactly what integrity looks like. Robert Lewis um, describes an authentic person as one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects God's reward. Mm. So we have this integrity and authenticity. Integrity is being the same in the dark as you are in the light, and authenticity is being that same way all the time. So an authentic Christian, a person after God's heart, a leader worth following, is one who conforms to the original Jesus Christ and reproduces those features which reflect his character. Such a person leaves little doubt to whom they belong because they bear the imprint of the master. They carry in their person God's certificate of authenticity. So the questions that we need that need to be asked are, do we bear the imprint of the master? Does our life, our behavior reflect his character? Would he authorize a certificate of authenticity for us? Ooh. That's a challenging one. That's a challenging
0: one. I sure hope so.
2: So those are the three additional lessons we learned, Bill. People of integrity and authenticity are admired and respected uh, by friend and foe alike. God honors people with integrity and authenticity. So number one, in addition to the three we started with, you are never too old to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I just finished a class with uh, 75-year-olds at my church, and I told them it's never too late to begin living a legacy worth leaving in the lives of others. And like Craig Groeschel says, if you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Number two, God and you are a majority, not a minority. Love and it. number three, integrity and authenticity shape our destiny.
0: Wow. I love the life of Caleb, Greg, and I see
2: a faithful man who, who
0: just completely trusted God to fulfill his promises when there were lots of other people who let their fears consume them
2: absolutely yeah. absolutely
0: yeah. really a delight this has been a great study caleb interesting interesting story yeah yeah
2: thanks One for, of my heroes
0: yeah thanks for sharing it oh you're more than welcome dr greg borgon has been my guest we call this lessons from caleb I, it's a lot of information uh in a very short amount of time so whenever greg's on i always have to go back and listen a second <laughs> time possibly a third with a notebook and a pen open so we're going to take a little break when we come back we're going to enjoy a full hour with Canon uh, J John from all across the way in the UK across the pond and we're going to talk about evangelism how important it is to go out and pray and share and care that's all coming up next